I connect with people well. It's something, I mean, like, you just have to show that you don't have a lot of ego, yeah. that you're willing to appreciate differences or things that you didn't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let people explain things to you and be like, oh, okay, now I understand why you do that and, like, how things are done here. It's, it's very, I don't, I don't, if, the more you can strip your ego, like, and just be humble and want to learn, the more people will just want to show you and will connect with you. That's like, honestly, how easy it is. There's a couple mile hike through the forest and then came just like a huge cave. Like, I can't even describe how big. Like, it was at least 100 feet tall. And when we were going into it, we found jaguar prints. Yeah. We were with, with this British guy, and he was like, we should try to see the jaguar. And Dick was like, no, we should not. <laughs> in a weird way, you have to learn how to be an addict before you can stop being one. It's like, the more you fight it and... I guess don't understand it. You'll just struggle and relapse. It's really, it's really important to understand why you're doing the things you do and then put a stop to them with that knowledge. I'm not sure I subscribe to this belief that comedians are like the philosophers of today. Like a lot of us are just telling our funnies. <laughs> This week's guest is Eric Sparks. Eric is a local writer and comedian based here in Eugene. During our conversation, we spoke about his upbringing in Whidbey Island, traveling to Central America, overcoming drug addiction, and more. All that will be coming up just after this. You're listening to the Uniquely Eugene podcast, a show dedicated to highlighting the unique stories, ideas, and perspectives of the people living right here in our community of Eugene, Oregon. Here's your host, Anthony Che. My guest this week is an individual with both a very captivating story as well as a fantastic ability in writing. Sure, I'll introduce myself. Um, My name's Eric Sparks. I'm a writer and comedian from Whidbey Island, Washington originally. When I first read his work, I was really impressed. The thing I found most striking was the amount of unique voice he was able to weave into his writing. After reading just a few paragraphs, I was immersed in the scene that he'd illustrated. And strangely, I felt as though the voice speaking from the page was one of an old friend. We'll get deeper into that later. For now, here's Eric describing the beginning of his story, growing up in Washington and navigating his way through life as a youth. Whidbey Island is an island near Seattle, uh, about 30 miles north of there. It's kind of unique in that it's really long. It's like 60 miles long. And the only ways to get onto the island are two ferry boats and a bridge that's at the north of the island. So, like, I grew up on the south end, and it meant that I was really isolated from everything. I had to take a ferry boat to get to like, um, I don't know, to baseball practice, to go to Seattle, to do basically anything except like be at home, you know? So it was a very unique experience growing up in that sense. It was kind of similar to Hawaii, but different because in Hawaii you have to take a flight to get to like here. There's no bridge to Hawaii. (laughs) There's no bridge to Hawaii. What's the population of the island? Um, 
I'm not sure the total population. For sure. Um, I will say that there's a lot more on the north end. There's a military base on the north end. And um, and then basically nobody down on the south end. It's super rural. It's really unique in the sense that it's one of the only places I've ever visited or lived that is rural but liberal, like very liberal. What was your experience like growing up in such a small, isolated town? Was it kind of like everyone was familiar with each other? And yeah, what very was... close-knit. Like, you knew everybody's face. If you didn't know their name, you for sure had seen them around, like, a few times. Like, even if you'd never happened to introduce yourself or anything. It was kind of <clears throat> bizarre in that way. You know, there wasn't... You couldn't get away with much. <laughs> you know, you'd... I remember skipping school and seeing my girlfriend's parents. I'm just being like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> like... Just can't get away with anything here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, were there any benefits, or was it mostly just like... Uh... Um, I mean, a really tight-knit sense of community. Cool. Um, you know, and like, I, I feel like our friend groups were really strong. I don't... <laughs> it's weird to like be like, oh, I think we were better friends than people in other places. I don't think that's probably the case. Though. Gotcha. You know, but I mean, but like, it was cool knowing people very well. I think there's probably a sense of familiarity when you're coming in contact with these people that like so yeah. frequently. It's like, it's almost like you have less options to choose who your friends are. So you just be friends with everybody. A major activity that Eric dedicated his youth to was baseball. He described the rigorous routine of playing 162 games in the span of just eight months. It seemed extreme. However, he explained to me that it taught him a valuable lesson in discipline and gave him his first opportunity to pour all of his effort into something to progress himself. Played really serious baseball. Um, What'd you play? I played second base and third base cool. and outfield sometimes, but mainly second base. Um, I, end, I played on a program that mimicked the major league schedule which is 162 games over like eight months or nine months like something like that you know it's pretty dedicated yeah it was crazy like and especially considering that i had to leave the island to do it so like at a certain um time of the year like starting around april all of a sudden our games would start like i would be we would practice all winter and fall but then in April, our games would start, and it would be every day I was going over to play a baseball game, which takes three and a half, four hours, you know? And they were, we were playing nine-inning games, too. Just, <laughs> the coach was crazy. He's just like, we'll just do what the pros do. That's how you get good at baseball. Jeez. And it's true. You have to play that much baseball to get good at it. It's like anything, you know, really. You have to truly put the time in. It's like people don't realize when you play, like, high school baseball, it's 20 games. That's not very many games in baseball. Like you might hit a slump and like just have a terrible season. It's like it's very beneficial to play like a, a, a huge amount of baseball. How'd you get involved with something like that? I mean, I'm sure it's not just. I mean, maybe it's because of the small community, like you said. But I no, we, not really. Well, kind of actually, yeah, because there was older kids that played on that team that like were really good at baseball. I was like, how did they get good? You know, and. I just saw that 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 was the program that they had been, I don't know, that they played through. Um, And so I went and tried out for that team. 
Nice. Did yeah. you have any? Does Seattle have a baseball team, like a major league baseball? Yeah, team? they have the Mariners. Oh, Mariners. Okay, I've yeah, heard yeah. of it. Yeah. Did you? Was that any particular influence to you or anything? Yeah, I love going to Mariners games. I just went to. Uh, I've gone to two this year with my dad because he still lives in the area. So when I go up to see him, that's something we like to go do. Nice. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, but they, but they're always bad, so it's <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love them. But it just hurts loving that team. For sure. Just, they, haven't made, they haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. They're Jeez. the only team that's true for. <laughs> Man, uh, I'm sure that was painful. Yeah, I mean, I, I've stopped, you know, caring that much. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy, you know, like at least the tickets are cheap because they're never good. <laughs> you know? yeah, more for the community and like the experience. Exactly. Definitely. It's fun. Still is enjoyable. Um that's a lot of time to dedicate to something. You said how many games? 162? Yeah. 162 games. And and is that in the course of a year? Uh, it's over like eight and a half months or something. It's like April through October. <laughs> so does that mean you're running tournaments between? Because with eight months, what is that? Like, oh, I don't know. I was leaving from school at like three and I would catch the ferry or at like 2.30. I'd catch the three o'clock ferry and I'd get to like where we'd play our game at you know, four ish, four thirty maybe. We'd warm up, we'd start the game around five, five thirty, and that game would go until nine and I'd get home at like ten thirty, eleven thirty. And that was every day <laughs> until school was out. And then it got easier over the summer. And we'd play more we'd play double headers. Yeah, I was about to say you're yeah. probably squeezing in two in the same day. Yeah. If you're running that many. Yeah, and and even when we're in school we would have I think, I don't know, either Saturday or Sunday off. And then, but we would do a double header on the other one. So you so, just made up for it anyway. <laughs> yeah, but at least you know, at least that was one trip for uh-huh. the two games. You just you take a bunch of food. You know, you're gonna be there for you know, eight hours. <laughs> yeah, something crazy. So, did you have any aspirations to be a professional baseball player, or what? Like, I what mean, was your? I kind of knew I wouldn't be a professional baseball player. I'm just I'm not physically there, and I always knew that. Um, I got an offer from the the guy who ran that baseball program that I was part of. He was also a community college coach at Everett Community College. And he offered me to come play baseball for him. And he told me straight up, he's like, look, man, you won't play a lot, but like, we need somebody like you, you get really good grades. And how like the baseball programs work is they have to have like an average team score that's a, of a certain level mm-hmm. so it's valuable to him to have a couple people that raise that up really high uh-huh. and he's like you'll you'll play sometimes when we're getting our asses kicked or when we're kicking ass <laughs> but like that's... and at the time i was just like yeah i want to go do other things and i did an honors program at seattle university cool if i could redo it i would go play baseball interesting i didn't realize at the time to what degree it meant like like baseball's not really it's not like basketball in the, or soccer in the sense that you can just go play it with friends mm-hmm. when you want or you can just go to the gym and shoot hoops like it's not that yeah i just didn't realize that once it's over it's over i mean it was something it was the one of the first things i cared about you know and taught me how to do things you know like instead of like it was the first thing that i was like i want to be good at that how do you actually do that and i like did it you know i looked at the i got a lot better at baseball than i was nice like i wasn't very naturally skilled at it Mm -hmm. but i'd put in enough work and i think that's translated to other things like comedy and i think it'll help with the blog like it's just you have to learn how to dedicate yourself to something 
For sure. What have you discovered to be like the best incentives for yourself or best practice to get yourself to stay committed? Hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, go ahead. Like you're asking just like basically like how to stay disciplined, I guess. Yeah. How how do you dedicate yourself to something? I mean, you just have to, I guess, how do you put it? You have to realize that you want the results of the work more than you want to not work. Right. Like, I get up and I write for two hours every morning at eight, no matter what time, you know, maybe seven thirty even no matter what time I get home and I get home really late from comedy shows sometimes, but I just, I get up and I make sure I don't miss my writing time Gotcha. because I won't write at any other time of the day. And I know that, Mm -hmm. and it's really important to get my thoughts out every day because every day is different and you have like different, you're on like different wavelengths or Mm -hmm. thinking different things. I I agree with that. Yeah. No, I definitely know what you mean. So you might miss something that's important if you don't, I don't know. That's my take on it. If you don't write every day. Eric decided to pursue higher education at Seattle university where he completed their honors program, which included extensive focus on the humanities from what he described it was a bit of a bumpy journey. However, he stuck with it and made it through. Um, I didn't really know, and so part of that's part of the reason I chose the program I did. It was an honors program at Seattle University, and they made me take a philosophy, a history, and a literature course every quarter for the first two years. So I had a whole bunch of credits in the humanities, like, um, and I don't know, I just, because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I did that. I figured, you know, uh, doing the honors program would buy me some amount of, I don't, I don't know, uh, clout, <laughs> you know, academic clout. I don't know what the right word for that is, but for it sure. felt better than not doing the honors program. Mm-hmm. And it made it easy because they chose the classes for the most part. You know, I got to choose one class every quarter. Uh-huh. It was just somewhat like, and it ended up being like, you know, some math class that I needed or the science lab or whatever, you know, I didn't really have much choice in that either. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, it was really hard and I, I struggled a lot at times. There was times that I thought I was going to fail. I remember when I graduated, <laughs> I was shaking the director of the program's hand and he goes, man, Eric, there was times I didn't know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, me too. <laughs> Like the fact that he could even say that to me, you know, was funny. It yeah, was, I, but it was true. Like it was. I'm assuming you're pretty close then, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, we were close, and also, it. I I was the guy. There was people that dropped out of that program, and I was the guy that probably should have. Like I was smoking a lot of weed at the time, and like, I was just. I just did it anyways. You know, I was like, I wasn't very, I was skipping a lot of class. Like I wasn't acting very responsibly, but I just didn't drop out. And I just like, there was a couple times when it got close and I had to like, kind of get my shit together. Yeah. And, but I did. And so I got through. And so that's what he was kind of referencing was just like the, the paradox of this kind of like irresponsible person just being like, yeah, I'll go through those really hard program anyways. Cool. And I mean, that's awesome that you're able to complete that. Yeah. A bit burnt out and ready to try something new, Eric decided to participate in a program called Woof. He spent time in Belize working on a farm and found good people and great experiences. Uh, Yeah. So I just got, I just finished the honors program there. Okay. And I was like, kind of like fed up with school. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
so I decided I was going to travel and I went to Belize for two and a half months by myself and just like stayed on farms. Cool. You know about woofing? No. There's a program. It's called woofing. I think it's W-W-O-O-F, Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've never um, heard of it. Yeah, so it's just like this website and you can look it up. And there's people that put out, they're like, hey, you can come stay with us in Belize. If you do three hours of work a day, we'll feed you three meals and give you a place to stay. There's no money involved, but you can have a place to stay. You just got to get down there? Yeah. Cool. And so I would do that. And How did you get involved in that? That seems like a pretty, I don't know. I just heard about it. Yeah. It's just a website. You just sign up. <laughs> cool. You know? so, and then the people are are interested because they want help mm-hmm. um in most of these places it's like belize food is so cheap that they're like they're getting a pretty good deal for their three hours of work uh-huh. you know uh considering they're just feeding me and giving me a bed yeah uh so that's like it's usually in places where food is cheap and like labor is really nice to have yeah yeah and did it seem like they needed a lot of people on deck or I mean, it seemed like they liked having people to help. For Um, sure. They also, like, the first place I stayed, it was a British couple, and they also hired, like, eight Belizean guys to come clear their jungle. They were were making a chocolate and coffee farm. Cool. Yeah. I can't do, like, the tourist thing. I I usually go, I usually go alone, and I try and meet people. And once I find somebody that I'm like, oh, this person's like trustworthy and friendly and cool. Or sometimes I happen to know people already and go visit them, you know, and that's even better because like when you've met somebody and already know them and comfortable with them, it's great. You got to foot in the door. But like, so when I was in Belize, what I did was I befriended the people that I was working with because he I told you he hired those eight Belizean guys to come. And that's who I did my work with my three hours of work per day. Excuse me. Um, and so, like, those guys were super cool, and they're always making jokes. And I don't know if you know, but in uh, Belize, they speak English. That's, like, why I chose Belize. When I, I was so young, I was 20 at the time, uh-huh. you know, like, it was, uh, to go to a foreign country by yourself is already a little crazy. I was uh-huh. like, I'm not going to deal with a foreign language. That seems nuts. Um, but so all those guys spoke English. They're super funny, always cracking jokes. And it got to the point where... Like, on our days off, I would go and I would buy a chicken, like a whole chicken, and I'd take it to my friend's house, and his wife would cook it, and we'd eat it with, like, all his kids. He had, like, three or four kids, and that's, like, how we spent our days off, was just hanging out, and he was he was the best. Like, that's super really, cool. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very laid-back vibe. There's not a lot of opportunity to make money, so everybody grows a lot of fruit, uh-huh. and it has, like, chickens, and eats a lot, a lot of eggs. And so, like, life's hard, but everybody's really happy. That's super cool that, like, that you had that opportunity to go there. And Yeah, I mean, I just made it. I just decided to. You know, I was like, I'm going to go. You know, I just saved up money for a while from a job. I had, I think, $900 when I went. That's all I had for the two and a half months. Uh-huh. And, and you were able to make that work? Yeah. Based on the, off the mm-hmm. resources? And I didn't, I wasn't even that, like, careful. But, like, that's at the time, too. That was a long time ago. I don't uh-huh. necessarily think you could do it for $900 now. Like, yeah. I don't know how much prices have changed. Especially in Belize, because they've tied their money to the American dollar. Like, the Belizean dollar is worth 50 cents mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. So, no matter how, you know, like, the American... 
if the American dollar is doing strong, so is the Belizean dollar, kinda, you know, like uh-huh. it's half of the American, but that's still better than like most of the other countries in the area's currencies. Cool. An aspect of Eric's traveling story that I particularly enjoyed was his philosophy of openness and his eagerness to learn a new way of living. It's one of minimal ego and surrendering one's past established cultural norms to integrate themselves in a new environment. I mean, a lot of people don't even take the time to really connect like that. That's it's like a really important part of it to me is like finding somebody to like that knows the culture and you're like, teach me, what do they do here? Actually? Yeah. How is, how do we actually live? Definitely. I don't want to just live like I normally live in America. Um, and just like kind of pass through doing my thing. Like, cause it's not really a different experience. Were there any adjustments that you had to make specifically to life in Belize or anything that stood out at all? Cultural norms? (laughs) Sure. Uh, there's weird things. Like I remember when they say right now, it means I'll do it in a minute. So like you would be like, can I get a soda? And they'd be like, yeah, right now. And it means like, yeah, man, I'll get to you in five minutes. Huh. But like, you're like, okay. But wait, what? You said right now. <laughs> like, but right. it's just something you had to get used to. You uh-huh. know? Um, so like maybe the time difference was a real thing, you know. Um, we would get up to work at 6 because it was so hot during the day. So we'd work from 6 a.m. to 10. So four hours a day I was doing, actually. Um, but then I was done for the day at 10 a.m. every day. I'd just take, a, like, a nap real quick and then wake up at, like, noon, eat lunch, and just, like, go out and do whatever. Um, what was there to do over there? I remember, uh, like, the fun st- I don't know. I just hung out with my friends and did whatever. They said, uh, there was this guy, Dick. I couldn't believe that was actually his name. I talk about it on stage sometimes, but that's what they called him. His name was Dick. Uh, and he took us to this cave this like giant cave this one time which was really cool because it was like a there's a couple mile hike through the forest and then came just like a huge cave like i can't even describe how big like it was at least 100 feet tall and like really really deep um and when we're going into it we found jaguar whoa yeah well, did you get freaked out at yeah, all? Yeah, we left. <laughs> oh, okay. Dude, uh, we were with, with this British guy, and he was like, we should try to see the Jaguar, and Dick was like, no, we should not. <laughs> White people are always trying to explain Yeah, it. <laughs> so crazy, man. Like, we should try to see the kill, killer cat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. I remember, I remember my friend went to, like, the main town that I had stayed in and asked the locals about me. And they were just like, oh, the crazy white guy that stayed, like, they were just like, that guy just smokes a lot of weed and stays out in the jungle. Like, we don't really see him. That's cool that you've been able to, like, kind of integrate yourself with the community so well that you actually become, that you're able to befriend, people, like, the locals I connect and stuff with people like well. Yeah. It's something, I mean, like, you just have to show that you don't have a lot of ego. Yeah. That you're willing to appreciate differences or things that you didn't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let people explain things to you and be like, okay, now I understand why you do that and, like, how things are done here. It's it's very, I don't, I don't, if the more you can strip your ego like, and just be humble and want to learn, the more people will just want to show you and will connect with you. That's, like, honestly how easy it is. The next chapter in Eric's story was one of difficulty and overcoming an obstacle that had taken an impact on his life. In this portion of our interview, Eric described his experience with drug addiction 
and how he was able to reach a point of betterment. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I had to... I was living in Seattle, and I was supposed to be going to school, but I was just doing math. And I realized I was... It was not sustainable. (laughs) Like, for one, I wasn't going to graduate ever, so, like, at some point, like my mom was going to be like, what is going on? And also like I was doing enough meth that like my health was really starting to go and I could tell. And it's just like, I'm going to fucking die if I don't stop. Um, and so, and I was, I tried to get clean in Seattle. Um, my ex-girlfriend and I moved to a new apartment and I was like, look, we're not doing meth here. It's just not happening. But she couldn't like, we were still fighting and she couldn't really like, dedicate to quitting and just realized I had to go you know there was no staying there and making it happen the only way really my mom's house was really the only place I had to go and she lives here so um so I got sober and I moved to her house and I think about a year later I started going to UO um what was the catalyst for that like, I needed a call. You know, like, it was like, all right, I've gotten clean. I took, like, a year to, like, get my mental health okay because I don't think I could have even done school in that first year. Like, like it took, it's, it's a pretty severe depression that comes on after meth addiction. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what the withdrawal is. You're just really sad. And if you're blessed enough that you can sit somewhere and watch TV and hang out with people that love you, and eat a lot of food, then it's really not that bad of a withdrawal, you know, compared to a lot of other drugs. Uh-huh. Um, but so that's what I was going through for the first year. And so then after that, it was like, I need to do something. Um, I didn't really just want to get like some minimum wage job for the point of it. So I was like, I finished my college degree. I don't even have any idea if it'll lead to anything, but at least I'll have it. Um, it's like, I, I like writing papers. Like I don't mind writing papers. Mm-hmm. So like, getting my brain kind of back to being functional by doing school. I guess that's what I would call it. I, you know, I was like, I need to get my brain back to being functional and school and just taking some time to do some education was a good way of like getting back in touch with it. Cool. And did you decide, like, was that your intention going into it is to kind of build off of like the foundation of philosophy and English that you had established prior? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause I told you how at Seattle University they made me take a philosophy, a history, and a literature course every quarter. So when I transferred to UO, they were like, "Look, man, for your major, it's one of those three. Like, it's gonna you're gonna take forever to if you want to start over, like mm-hmm. in some other major." Was there anything that you had considered psychology a little bit because I wanted to work with drug addicts you know before I really found comedy and kind of dedicated myself more towards that angle or like comedy and writing um together uh I was thinking I wanted to be like a a drug addiction counselor I'm not so sure of that now because it just would be a lot of mental wear if that makes sense no definitely it's a lot like you're just taking on a lot of people's other other people's problems all the time and it's just like i'm not sure it's like i might want to volunteer but i don't want that necessarily to be my everyday dedicated career yeah for sure yeah i'm sure that would be incredibly heavy and you know 
challenging every day that you go into it. And I mean, especially for someone like who has personal experience tied to the profession itself. Well, I think most of those people do. Like I have a ton of respect for all the counselors. Like uh, when I got here, I had to do a drug program, like a, uh, outpatient rehab, I think is what it technically was. And one of the aspects of that was I had a counselor who was just, I had to, um, you know, have a session with her. It felt a lot basically like a therapy session, but that's not really what it was. It was more just checking in around my drug use. But um, she was a former alcoholic and she was very talented at connecting with people and kind of relating to problems and really kind of helped me see through how much of my addiction was really kind of a addiction to my ex-girlfriend as much as it was methamphetamine. Because really, I don't know, like I didn't even really like meth that much, but like as long as I was in this relationship, I was doing it. And that, so it was like interesting kind of trying to um, figure that out. Definitely. Yeah, I mean... That's good that you're able to have that revelation and that somebody could kind of lead you to that. that yeah, that's yeah, it was what very happened. helpful. Mm-hmm. After the break, Eric concludes by talking about his new blog and upcoming podcast, stand-up comedy, as well as his aspirations for the future. Stick around, because we'll be right back in just a moment. Next week, I speak with graduate student, educator, and artist Jalen Thompson. He describes growing up in the South, stepping into his identity of both blackness and queerness. After I, like, you know, finally, like, accepted who I was, um, I think I started to really just blossom. Religion and education. I So that she was casting out, like, this gay demon or whatever, I was, as a, I was, like, 10, I was like, oh my goodness, like, I probably have that. And, you know, I <laughs> I was just always afraid of her because I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to, know, she's going to know and, 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 and get the thing out of me or whatever. It's going to be a very vivacious interview. So keep your ears open for my episode with Jalen Thompson on the Uniquely Eugene podcast. Before the break, Eric detailed his adventures in Belize as well as his triumph over an addiction to heroin. Moving forward, Eric has made a blog called The Rules of Addiction. It's a resource to those with a similar struggle, as well as insight for an outside perspective. Here's Eric describing his project. Yeah, I just started a blog. It's called The Rules of Addiction. It's these eight rules that I came up with. I guess I was just, I, was, I started a book originally. And I decided to kind of turn it into a blog for now. Um, I probably will keep working on the book because it's more of a story, you know, than the blog is. It's um, it's more like it, it's eventually I hope it tells the story of my time as an addict. Um, but so I took the rules from the, that I'd written for the book and decided to make the blog based on them. And basically, I just view them as these kind of essential pieces of knowledge to surviving addiction um, and hopefully in getting out of it, you know, like um, in a weird way, you have to learn how to be an addict before you can stop being one. It's like the more you fight it and 
I guess don't understand it, you'll just struggle and relapse. It's really, it's really important to understand why you're doing the things you do and then put a stop to them with that knowledge. Almost like you're going into a battle unprepared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. As long as you're going to lose for sure. Like addiction's so strong, man. Like you got to be so prepared. Like rule number four is don't run out of drugs without preparing for it. It's like, you got to be prepared to quit. There's no, there's no getting clean on accident. Yeah. And I remember reading that. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. It's Uh, it's one of my mottos. Gotcha. Um, what do you aspire for your podcast to look like? Um, it's going to be, it's, it, it's an interview. It's just in an interview style with addicts where I go over the rules and just ask them how much they agree with them or don't agree with them. The first episode, I told you I had one recorded. It's my, with my buddy, Seth Milstein. Um, he was really kind to, to open up about his cocaine problems with me. And what was super interesting was how much I had to come to terms with that the rules of addiction that I've come up with might be the rules of addiction for meth addiction or for like a serious addiction because he was like, yeah, like, uh, let's see. Rule number two is you probably lose everything. If you don't lose everything, you're lucky. And he's like, yeah, man, I don't think a lot of cocaine addicts like lose everything. You know, I was like, yeah, cocaine's kind of like a soft drug though. He's like, not really. I was like, I think just as a former meth addict, I can say that, but like, (laughs) so it was kind of weird, you know, like having him be like, yeah, I don't know if these are like hard instead or like hard and fast true rules of addiction so much as like they represent like the more serious addicts, like, like meth and heroin. Mm -hmm. And also like alcohol is a pretty like dark addiction for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And like probably more prevalent. Than, it's than medicine, since it's oh, so yeah, much, so yeah, much it's more available. Prevalent. I don't know how. I mean, I don't know. There's probably similar numbers of meth and alcohol addicts that are that bad. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of alcoholics that are very functional and very minor. And they may be alcoholics technically, but like they're not. I mean, there's a difference between drinking a 12 pack a day and drinking a beer or two a day. Yeah. You know? And there's a lot of people that drink a beer or two a day. Uh-huh. For sure. Um, I think that's interesting going forward with your podcast. And as, as you have different guests, you kind of, uh, like, from the different perspectives that you're coming into contact with, you're probably going, there's probably going to be, like, a development of your rules. And then you're kind of finding, like, these universal intersecting truths of, among addiction between all these different sorts of paths that people have journeyed through. Do yeah, you- I mean, definitely. Um even just as I continue writing the blog, because once I'm past rule number eight, because there's kind of the original eight rules, mm-hmm. I'm just going to put a rule number nine, rule number 10, and it's just going to be stuff I'm coming up with every day, you know, just being like, here, this seems like, it's like, I, I recognize that I'm not like a true authority on addiction, and I'm not sure there really is any, except maybe doctors who have studied it thoroughly, but like, I think there's value in me coming up with these insights and offering them. And I think it's on people to recognize that they're not necessarily true for everybody all the time. And that doesn't mean they're not helpful for some people sometimes. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of what you described to me as like your, 
um, aspiration for the project is, is it for it to be a resource to a community of oh, or a resource yeah, to anyone. Yeah, just it's a way of giving back. It's like I recognize that there's these people that I was around that I had to leave behind for my own good. It's like I would like to not leave them behind totally, you know. Yeah, and I, and I'm sure it'll go beyond that where it's not just those people. I'm sure that it'll be widely. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean that too. The, the the entire addict community for uh-huh. sure. Like not just like I don't have actually a very much affection for the particular people I was around during my time as an addict. You like it's it's hard to um, it's just when people are fucking you over constantly, it's hard to like care about them. You yeah, know, it's more about wanting to get the community healthy as a whole for sure. Definitely, and I, I'm sure like for me as somebody who doesn't have any experience in, in that realm at all, it's insightful and, and valuable for me to know what it's like. So if I come into contact with anyone, I can kind of have a little bit of insight at least. I'm trying to bridge that gap. Tr- tr- trying as much as I'm trying to offer guidance for addicts, I'm trying to offer insight into how people end up there and why they struggle to get out. Yeah. Um, I don't know how effective I am at that, but. I think that you've done great. I, I like it's like I said, your writing is extremely impressive and it's very detailed in the way that you're able to convey and articulate the experience to someone from an outside perspective. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting tone to try that I'm trying to take on in the blog because it has to be kind of quick. Like, I don't, it's not a book. I want people to be able to read it and be done. You know, it, it's very, it's interesting. I found that it's super digestible and I, that's something that I admire about your writing is Thank that you. it's, it's, uh, it's both gripping but informative at the same time. Where like I don't know a lot of th- a lot of times people struggle to kind of like take in the information, but I think yours is particularly like captivating and informative at the same time. So I think you've done a great job. Thank you. I hope it, and I hope it just improves as I you know work on it more and more. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what you do with the project. Uh, totally. Absolutely. And see it develop over time. And I'm, I'm excited to support your movement. Eric's new fix for adrenaline is comedy. He's found a true passion for it and aspires to tour someday. He describes his approach to stand-up and how he creates his material. Um, I just, I don't know. I realized it was something I wanted to do. And I'm not sure how long it took me. But at some point, I just realized, like, if I didn't just go and do it, I was always going to regret it. Like, it just it, it just struck me one day that, like, you just have to go do it. And I did. I mean, also, I say that, but also, I needed an outlet and a way to get adrenaline. Um, I, I don't, I think it must have been kind of from meth addiction because I was never an adrenaline junkie before. But I think meth kind of makes you like adrenaline um and after i stopped doing meth i started shoplifting and i really liked the adrenaline rush from that which uh-huh. is particularly intense and but i had to stop doing that too sure. obviously like it's not necessarily bad for you health wise but it is bad for you legally definitely. and in other ways probably a bad thing to make a habit of <laughs> yeah definitely not a very like safe way yeah 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 exactly um and so I just sort of realized like it was something I would really enjoy doing and I went and did it and I had a blast. Like I knew I was going to be, I knew I'd keep doing comedy because even 
when it didn't go well, I still liked doing it because I still got an adrenaline rush. So it's like, you know, uh, it's not intimidating to me to bomb or whatever. You know, a lot of, you know, supposedly it's really hard to bomb. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Was there a lot of preparation that went into it or did you kind of just throw yourself up there? Cause I'm um, sure I wrote jokes, you know, I don't think it's helpful to go up and improvise for most people. Yeah. If you're that good at doing it, like some people can and do, but like, that's not ni- 99% of people. If you want to do comedy, you should write jokes and then perform them. That's yeah. And the talented people make it look like they're improvising, even though that it's like, it's kind of like a, right. You got to make it look natural and like it's conversation, but like at the same time you want to have like real quality material you don't want to just it's hard to improvise good stuff yeah i it, i don't know i'm sure even seasoned professionals have a hard time just pulling stuff right off the dome yeah i'm sure um i mean there's it depends like to some degree there's like there's comedians there's this guy judah friedlander who um how he does shows is he like he has jokes ready to go about topics so that like when certain uh issues come up it like he just like can do that joke it's hard to explain but like like if an audience member brings up a topic he'll just go like he has jokes ready to go about it so um but like most comedians just kind of perform an act so to speak yeah definitely and i think i've kind of seen that and observed that from my own perspective yeah um what was like kind of your inspiration behind the material that you've written um most i mean i don't know a lot of it like i have a lot of stuff where i try to talk about my time as an addict and trying to find some value in that um a lot of it's just stuff that i think is funny um yeah you can't always talk about drug addiction. Not every audience wants to hear that. I hope to, as a comedian, cultivate an audience that wants to hear about that so I can do material about that and, like, have people appreciate it. Yeah. But, like, a lot of the time when I go up there and I'm like, hey, I used to be a meth addict, it's not, like, a bunch of people that are like, oh, that's definitely what I want to listen to. It's a hard first impression to make, I'm sure. Yeah. Um... And so I spend a lot of time kind of trying to win an Like, what I've been doing recently is I do jokes that I think are funny, that I think the audience will think are funny, that are more, I don't know, uh, not clean necessarily, but more not about meth addiction. Yeah. And then at the end, I have like a minute of material once I've kind of won them over where it's like, hey, I used to be a meth addict, and can I, I'm going to talk about that for a couple minutes. And uh-huh. I kind of end with it. And it's been working out pretty well because yeah. I have some time to like convince them I'm a good person first. For sure. That, there, that's a hard thing to lead with. I'm, I'm yeah. sure. There's this rule in comedy that like if they can sense your intention is good, they'll like you and want to laugh instead of like pull back. Uh, do you have any thoughts specifically on like the intersection between comedy and philosophy? Huh, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, um, they're kind of similar. Um, uh, I don't know how much comedy really gets into, like, true philosophy. I think it's been helpful for me to study philosophy and the different ways of thinking. Um, 
but I'm not sure I subscribe to this belief that comedians are like the philosophers of today. Uh-huh. <laughs> like a lot of us are just telling our funnies, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is fine and good. And I mean, a lot of us have opinions about things like philosophically, but uh-huh. I don't know. Like comedians aren't good people to take guidance from on anything besides comedy. Trust me. Like they're not well put together people <laughs> like like i feel like one of the more responsible comedians and it's like that's not good <laughs> i've been super irresponsible my entire life finally eric described his aspirations for his life moving forward it was great to see his ambitions and i'm hopeful that he'll be able to realize them my my short-term plan is to just get better at comedy, try to build the blog and podcast up cool. to have some sort of, like, uh, I would hope some sort of, like, national profile, you uh-huh. know? Like, not national profile. Like, I don't think it's going to be, like, famous or well-known. But hopefully I have the people who... I have people who like the blog and f- the podcast from everywhere in America. My hope is, like, someday that that'll transition into having, like, a comedic audience. Mm-hmm. Um that I could tour, you know, like it would be, my dream would be to be a touring comedian where you just get to travel around the country and you get paid to tell jokes and you just get to go see things and help talk about it. And at the same time, helping people. Well, like I feel like comedy is kind of helping people, you know, it's like, it's really valuable to go someplace and just be like, Oh, we're just going to sit back and see if this guy can make us laugh for an hour. Like, you know, like, we'll forget about all our problems, whatever's going on. We'll just, let's just listen to what he has to say and see if it's actually funny or not. Yeah. And if you're good at your job, then you're actually giving those people some relief. Definitely. You know, from busy, stressful lives. That's a tall order, but I'm sure if you do actually hit it on the nail, that it's very, very rewarding. It's so fun. Yeah. It's just really fun. Like, that's what I always say. Like, you can always tell I did well when I did comedy. If you ask me how it went, and I go, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. I never, I never say like I did really good or like I crushed. Uh-huh. I go, it was fun, like, and that's you know that's how I view it. Cool, yeah, yeah. and I, I think that kind of goes back to that thing that you're saying about your ego. It's not about you. It's about like uh, everybody. Yeah, about yeah. the effect. It is. It's about everybody. It's about everybody in the kind of the cool and fun and hard thing of comedy is being like, all right, there's 30 people in this room. Can I say what I have to say in such a way that it connects with every one of them? And they're all different people. Yeah. Like, especially right now, because it's just random collections of people in bars. It's not really like, like the more you cultivate your audience, the more you have an expectation of like what you're going to talk about. You know, you can kind of hone it down or refine the material yeah, you, to yeah. this audience that you found for sure. Yeah. Well, I hope you can get there someday. Yeah, and I, and I, yeah, I don't know. With everything, with with the writing that I've read from you so far, I'm confident that you can make those things happen. Thanks, Anthony. It's nice of you to say. I yeah, I, I really do. I don't know. Seriously, I don't. I don't get. I don't get to read many like, I don't know, insights. Kind of like the ones I read from your blog, but I don't think many people do. To mm-hmm. be honest, I'm not. The, 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 that did sound a little egoistic, but it's it's not that. It's you know what I'm trying to say is that not very many people go to that place and then come back. So there's just not that many people doing it. Yeah. There are some. If you get on, there's you know there's people on Reddit, on the drugs subreddit uh, that have 
that put up writing every now and then that's really yeah. powerful and captivating as well i'm really glad that you've made it out on this side as well and you're kind of like making things happen for yourself me too it's yeah. um it's interesting sort of like coming out of it and feeling almost more more disciplined and more capable in a certain way because I had to get strong in a way to quit meth. You know what I mean? Like I had to like, like I had to learn how to be disciplined. Like every day you have to be like, all right, none of the soup, the most, you know, the drug they told you that was the most addictive one ever. Every day for like a year, I had to wake up well, forever. It's not even been a year. It's been almost four mm -hmm. in October. It'll be four years. Every day I wake up. It's like, I don't really struggle with like wanting to do meth. So uh -huh. it's not really a, big issue but mm -hmm. like at first it was kind of hard you have to wake up every day and be like all right i'm gonna not do meth mm -hmm. and just learning how to do that makes you disciplined in a way for sure yeah come out of a place of adversity stronger yes and more prepared yeah for yeah yeah exactly your life going forward definitely for sure that's all for our show this week. Thank you to Eric Sparks for coming on the show and sharing both vulnerably as well as authentically. If you'd like more information from the episode today, check the show notes below. If you supported the show's Kickstarter, rewards due in September will be heading out next week. The best way you can support our show is to share it with your friends and family. And if you'd like to stay up to date with current episodes and projects, you can follow our show on all major social platforms at UniquelyGene. I'll be right back next week with another brand new episode. Until then, I wish you all the best and thank you for tuning in to the Uniquely Gene Podcast.